directed by Alan Smithy, it's the DigiGuys. Please welcome two guys who've hit the mic. It's Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, we don't see too many Alan Smithies anymore, do we? Uh, Corey, that's clearly somebody that knows their stuff. Who sent that one in for us? That was sent in by Lorenzo Rafa. The end. When was, the last time, when was the last time there was an Alan Smithy? I think everybody's so hip to that. Everyone's so inside baseball now that uh, they're they're using pseudonyms that are they're just using pseudonyms. Yeah, now they just use regular. Yeah. But yeah. but Alan Smithy was the one that was approved by the DGA. Yeah. yeah. Wow, it's a bummer. What that just, Alan I, Smithy was approved I just, by the DGA? No, I I just you know there's a I I. I used to look forward to seeing an Alan Smithy on a film. It made you, you kind of look forward. You, it was a sign, right? It was like a code. It was like a little private inside code. It was like, oh, this is going to suck in a glorious, wonderful, beautiful way. And then now they don't use it anymore. So it's so now movies can suck with people I don't using the real name. I don't get that code ahead of time. That's it's like you know you, you you like the fact that it was like an insider thing that you knew about and other people did not. Yeah, it's like you're you're on a runaway train and there's a guy that's like danger ahead and he's signaling you and you're like, oh sweet, we're gonna go off a cliff and you you knew that going in. I, uh, you know, speaking That's of which, Runaway Train, you know, they're remaking Murder on the Orient Express. Yes, they are. With Kenneth Branagh yes. entertainingly directing it. Yeah. Good choice. Very good choice. Uh, yeah, I think that's At least it's not like fun. Michael Bay or something, at least. And yet, and yet I, my favorite Kenneth Branagh film of all time uh, is still not on DVD or on Blu-ray. Don't say Dead Again. Midwinter's Tale. Oh. <laughs> Midwinter's Tale, which is uh, just outrageously funny. I mean, that thing is so, in black and white, it's just so funny. Cream of the crop of, uh, by the way, as long as... And I'm, and I'm doing a sideways thing, by the way, from that, because that just reminded me of AbFab, because Julia, uh, Julia Sawala is in Midwinter's yeah. Tale. So the AbFab movie, soundtrack is out. I've only heard the one track. Kylie Minogue doing the uh, Wheels on Fire theme song for AbFab. Have you heard it? Oh, are you kidding me? It's, uh, uh, you're not into AbFab. No. How are you not into AbFab? That that thing, it seems like the British Sex in the City. Is that what it is? It's like the British Middle you know, Age Sex in the City? <laughs> it's like, it's like, yes, kind of, except it's like the it's like a, a British Middle Age Sex in the City with two women who have uh, much lower IQs, absolutely no morals whatsoever, and uh, an unapologetic substance abuse problem. That's Does that great. make sense? It's, right. it's so funny. Fantastic. The best. So it's so. I know the term politically correct and incorrect has become too much of a buzz thing, but it is so politically incorrect. I mean, look, there's one episode where they go to Morocco and and um, the Jennifer Saunders, you know, her daughter played by Julia Zawala. She they basically try to leave her daughter, who's grown, try to leave her behind. They try to sell her into into white slavery in Morocco so that they can actually, you know, go shopping. It's hysterical. See, that's funny. It's great. But that's, you know, nobody's, nobody can get away with that stuff here anymore. So anyway, um, a little bit of housekeeping really quickly. So uh, I made a mistake some weeks ago when I was talking about, we talked about some Flickr Alley titles on a couple of subsequent weeks. I mentioned, I said that Woman on the Run and Too Late for Tears were MOD, Manufacture on Demand, uh, Blu-ray, uh, burnable Blu-rays. Not true. I got it mixed up. It's Timothy's Quest. And Poet and Publisher, which is all about with Robert Frost and um, a publisher is known by the company. He keeps those two films on that one, both from 1961. So it was Timothy's Quest 
and Poet and Publisher. Those are the MOD titles. Woman on the Run and Too Late for Tears. Great, great classic uh, noir stuff there. Uh, both of those fully pressed, always available. Um, so those are the ones, and those are Blu-ray DVD combo sets. So my apologies to the people at Flickr Alley. I wanted to get my notes correct on that. And, of course, if you want to email us or uh, send us any Vox boxes, do so at gods at digigods.com, gods at digigods.com. And uh, I guess uh, this week you will, you and uh, Kim will be getting busy on uh, some website stuff. Yeah, that, that's going to be a long process. It's, it's not going to be that long, though. No, it's going to be a long process. Yeah, well, well because right. we have to go back and forth with Kim and yeah. tell her what we want. Then she's got to design it. Then we give her notes. And then and she's got to look at the stuff again. that stuff then that I did and laugh. Website. And then she's got to build all the code. And then yeah. she's got to look at the, we got to look at the design. Then I got to give her notes. Okay. Then she's got to incorporate the notes. Okay. It's just it's going to take it's going to take you know it's going to take months, a couple of months. Maybe, maybe, could be faster. If we had more than one person working on it, sure. yeah. Well, well okay. Anyway, one person working on it. Anyway, she'll do a good job. I'm not saying she won't. Yeah. I'm just saying it'll yeah. take a while. Yeah, it'll take a while. Well, we'll, 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 I bet you it'll be faster than you think. Well, it, it'll be faster if we get her the answer she yes. needs. Correct. Yes. If, if, if it takes us a week to get back to her when she has a question, yes, it'll mm. take months, if not years. Well, anyway. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, so, uh, I saw, now that we can talk about, you know, with IGN, we can never uh, really kind of spill beans on anything, but I saw Finding Dory yesterday. Which I passed on because it was at 10 a.m. and I was not going to do that. Uh, but, you know, my daughter has only seen Shaun the Sheep in theater. That's her only theatrical experience so far, and she saw it four times. So we wanted to at least, you know, is it the El Capitan? I mean, the El Capitan, Hollywood, Hollywood, that whole section of Hollywood Boulevard is like, you know, uh, Times Square now. I hate that theater. The El Capitan? Oh, it's the worst. Why? The theaters, the the, uh, the seats are too small. The seats are very, un- they're narrow and uncomfortable. They are narrow and uncomfortable. Well, okay, it's a beautiful, classic old movie palace. And though. I wish they could rip out about 100 seats or 200 seats and make every remaining seat a little bit wider. Well, and, I, and I'm not a heavy guy, but I'm just yeah. saying that I, I it's, it's uncomfortable. You got the guy playing the organ beforehand and too he sinks loud. into the floor. Too loud. And it sinks into the floor is cool. It sinks into the organ, floor. Is cool. Okay, organ guy, too loud. <laughs> Seats too narrow. I mean, it's very uncomfortable. You can't is, cross your legs. You it's can't. A, well, anyway. It's, it's like sitting in an airplane. So we take my daughter to uh, to see this, and she has never seen Finding Nemo, but she loves fish. She can't get enough of fish, you know, Little Mermaid and Flounder and all that. So we take her to see uh, Dory. She already knows who Dory is. We primed her on that. She's very excited about Dory and, and sharks and whales and everything. And, uh, of course, there is some scary stuff. She cried. Some very emotional stuff. I have a very sensitive little girl. She cried. But on, on balance, she uh, absolutely adored it and would not stop talking about Dory for the rest of the day. And Ellen DeGeneres, wonderful, fantastic. I'm very impressed that they took a minor character that's basically a one-note joke and uh, were able to build a movie around that character in a very compelling and emotionally moving way. It, uh, the people at Pixar really... they Andrew Stanton did a number on this one. He really did. He's the man. This is Welcome Back. His, this is his Welcome Back movie, Andrew Stanton on top of the world. You know, the thing with Disney is that if you look at Pixar and if you look at Marvel... With the exception of probably Cars 2, mm-hmm. I mean, they have not had an outright dud. And Cars 2 still made money, by the way. I mean, it, it, you, you've had a few Disney films, like, the, you know, The Last Dinosaur. That was also kind of a Pixar dud, but that made money, too. Yeah. That also made money. Well, so, Pixar, I mean, well Dinosaurs was really... Mo- not I mean, Dinosaurs, I, The Last Dinosaur, just this last year. Right, that one was yeah. really for kids. That was for little kids. Little kids, correct, yes. And the other ones, at least... Dinosaur, yeah. At least adults can get some satisfaction out of all the other Pixar films. Yeah. 
True. But I actually stopped. I, I, they sent me a screener for Dinosaurs. I stopped watching because it was just too line, juvenile. No Pixar movie has ever lost money. They have all been massively profitable or really profitable. And good. And good. And the ones that are even, even Cars 2, which you know has problems and people by and large disliked, it still made a gigantic ton of money. It was, I think, on balance, probably more profitable than Cars. So, um, you know, and they sold toys, too. I mean, Pixar is a, is a cha-ching machine over there. That's why they give them so much latitude. That's the thing. If you're, if, if, if you're Disney, you cannot be giving script notes to Pixar. No. They and, should be completely autonomous. And then Disney, Disney Animation, which John Lasseter also oversees, they're autonomous as well. And they just had Zootopia. They're going to get even more autonomous. Are you kidding me? Now, Zootopia, that's a, that's a, that's a billion-dollar juggernaut. But Zootopia, that was a surprise. Total surprise. That Total I had no, surprise. no faith in that. I didn't either. But, but when you consider that Disney Animation now has delivered back-to-back Frozen and Zootopia, both of which overperformed by like 3,000%, that's insane. I mean, that is, a, that is a juggernaut over there. The animation machine is just unstoppable. Disney is a... Disney is a, a, a they're, they're just... In, in, and, you know, I'm not necessarily a Robert Iger fan. I was always a fan of, you know, Katzenberg and Eisner, and I thought what, I liked what they were doing. But I'll tell you, what Iger's doing, man, it's working. It's working. I give the guy credit. He's really, he's, he's, we'll see what the Star Wars theme park is going to turn out like. My goodness, there's no well, stopping Disney now. Well, let's see if Rogue One stops Disney now. Well, we'll see. <laughs> they're, they're not going to stop building that, the theme park. No. But that's, that's going to be very. The, re, the reshoots? They're reshooting like half the movie. Yeah, well, they're reshooting a lot. I don't know if it's half the movie. There's a lot of different rumors spinning around, but it's, uh, you know, I find that uh, what I found, and I mentioned this on the Facebook thread as well, what I find interesting about the Rogue One thing is less the thing that, oh my gosh, the movie has problems, let's go do reshoots, but more that Disney's messaging was so undisciplined that you had executives from Disney saying, oh yeah, it's problems, it's crap. Like, wait, wait a minute, hold on. That never happened at Disney before. You're, you're supposed to have your people all, you know, it's like a political campaign. Same message. You go out there in front of the press. You go, um, it's good, but we think we can make it better. Well, it's normal to do reshoots. Nothing to be worried about. Uh, you know, it's just these are this is this is the way that you you get a great film, and we want it, we raise the bar with the previous Star Wars film. We want to make sure that we meet that bar, and we're raising the bar all the time, and we want these films to keep getting better and better. And it's all about the fans. Look, I just made that up on the off the top of my head. Are you telling me that the that corporate publicity at, at Disney couldn't come up with something like that and then give it to everybody and say this these are your talking points? Yeah, that's the Holy thing. Like, cow. Disney come is, on. Disney is so tight as a drum. You never hear about never. internal leaks. You never hear about like ever. some screening that went poorly and no. oh, oh I, I I heard this sucks. You so never what hear happened, that about a Disney film. So what happened with Rogue One? I have no idea. Isn't that weird? No idea. I guess. I mean, I don't know that I don't think JJ's overseeing that film very closely cuz JJ runs a tight ship. I mean, a really tight ship. Like, plot details never leak. Well, they're all the same with Pixar. Yeah. Pixar, even Avengers, even the, uh, the Avengers oh. films, the, Disney, the uh, Marvel films, sometimes they'll yeah. seat out somebody in costume or maybe a plot point, who's he going to play? But generally speaking, it's a really tight ship over there, so I don't know what happened with Rogue One. Okay, so I'm going to, uh, there was a bunch of anime left over from last week. I got a gigantic, massive pile of anime. I'm going to break it up into bits on the show. Uh, I got some listener mail as well. Uh, gods at digigods.com is where you hit us. And uh, so I'm going to blow through some anime real quickly and then uh, blow through the rest of it later in the show. Uh, and uh, mean, so let's, let me start off here with um, 
Transformers, Robots in the Sky, Season 1. Transformers shows is about as many of these as there are uh, Power Rangers shows. Not quite, but close to. So uh, if, you, if you keep up with these things, Robots in Disguise, um, you know, pretty kind of a standard Transformers series. This is uh, one of the more, this is, you know, one of the more recent ones. And uh, it's fine. You know, it's exactly what you'd expect. And there, the bonus features on here are really what's interesting. Featurettes, and then there's some stuff from the 2015 San Diego Comic-Con International panel, which will be of interest primarily to Transformers fanatics. And, of course, Transformers is sort of nominally anime. It's just anime-inspired, but uh, otherwise... Anyway, and then from... Uh, we've got a couple titles here from Made in Japan, who is uh, distributed by Section uh, Section 13. Um, Gun- Gunbuster the movie. I'm not familiar with the world of Gunbuster, but uh, it's fine, you know. It's uh, space-faring robot suit stuff. Uh, you know, it, it, it fits in with that whole genre. That's on Blu-ray. Uh, Vampire Princess Miyu, the complete TV series, beautiful, beautiful animation. Um, the vampire stuff in anime is never, it's not really Western vampire. If, you've, if you're familiar with Vampire Hunter D, you kind of know how they, they treat it. Uh, it's all rather romanticized. But this is, uh, this is lovely, lovely animation. Great color, great, uh, great artwork, really, really cool. Um, and then uh, from Sente, a bunch of stuff from Sente, Bodacious Space Pirates, Abyss of Hyperspace. I don't know what it is with space pirates and anime, but they just love all that space piratey stuff. They 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 can't get enough of it. Uh, like you know, fairy tale is up on that too, and they all they all have kind of that that vibe. Anyway, space pirates, the whole idea of projecting things nautical, Earth and nautical into space, which space cruiser Yamato does as well. Uh, this is fine, uh, you know, adventurous and uh, decent enough. That's on Blu-ray. Uh, then we've got Love Stage exclamation point or double exclamation point complete collection uh, also from Sente this is on Blu-ray um, not my speed this is you know one of those this is one of those teen oriented uh, college age young adulty kind of uh, the politics it's like if John Hughes made anime I don't know I, I, I don't quite I, it's not my speed don't really understand it I guess it has some appeal in Japanese culture uh, Yamashibai, Japanese ghost stories. Pretty cool. Really, really awesome. This is uh, seasons one and two, and uh, really, really unbelievable animation. Totally unusual, completely off the, off the charts. Not at all like anything anime you've ever seen. Japanese ghost stories are great if you're familiar with anything like uh, from, the, you know, from the Ring, from Ringu, to The Grudge, all that stuff, as well as uh, things that I love like Kwaidon, the classic old Kobayashi film. Uh, all that stuff. It, it all plays into Japanese ghost story lore and uh, putting this into the world of anime with this kind of really cool watercolory uh, animation. Very, very, very interesting. Uh, really, I, 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 you know, I don't really know what's going on here. I'm not sure it really justifies uh, a series, but it's pretty great. Uh, Space Brothers uh, continues to be a really, really popular anime series. We got uh, Collection 7 and Collection 8 here. I'm just going to uh, make mention really quickly of uh, 8 because the cover is something that I'm going to get a reaction out of Mark on. Mark, what would you think if you saw Space Brothers Collection 8 on the cover? Oh. See? <laughs> it's a puppy in a space suit. Yeah, wait a <laughs> second, but is, 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 he, is he drifting out into space to die forever? Perhaps. Would it's that a, make you sad? Yeah, because it's a puppy in a spacesuit. <laughs> Stupid yeah. puppy. Yeah, puppy in a spacesuit. It's the cutest cover they've had yet. Uh, also, Blu ray from Sente Filmworks, season two of Log Horizon. 
uh, 13 episodes. I'm middling on this. This is uh, kind of uh, this is in the this is fantasy realm stuff. Um, like all of them, it, you, you, unless you're already into it, I am. I'm unfamiliar with season one, so I felt like I you know watch one episode. You're not really up to speed. Couldn't really get with it. There is a horrific kind of dystopian uh, theme to When They Cry. Uh, this is season two, 24 episodes on four discs. Uh, the world basically coming apart at the seams. Uh, kind of uh, has a lot of that World War Z slash Mad Max slash, uh, you know, Return of the Archons, Landrew, Are You of the Body um, <laughs> festival. You know, that, that, that whole thing. There's, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, you're, you're laughing because we are such Star Trek nerds that, that you immediately understood what I was talking about. You know, they, uh, for the Star Trek show that's coming on CBS, they hired a couple of other vets from Next Generation. Yeah, that made me happy. Uh, that made me happy. That means that there's somebody who at least kind of has a grip on the lore. That's, that, that'll, that'll work. I, 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 trust, I trust Nicholas Meyer. I trust Nick Meyer. <sighs> I don't. Really? We'll get into that later. Uh, more of this teen stuff. Uh, we just make this a Star Trek nerd show. Yeah, we should. Uh, more no, we more should. of that teen st- stuff on this three-disc set. 25 episodes of From the New World. Uh, from Sente. Uh, you know, cute girls are, are a... a Crucial part of uh, of uh, you know uh, Japanese anime. Uh, in this case, it's like this weird utopian world, and and uh, it's a little bit like Brave New World, and uh, maybe a touch of Logan's Run here as well. Um, and then, but it, it all it feels it all almost feels like um, you know Clueless or Sex in the City or uh, Square Pegs or something dropped into Logan's Run. I don't know. It's very strange. Uh, but uh, good animation, uh, very interesting and, and at least you know aggressive in that respect. And then the last few titles I'll make quick mention of a um, couple of two blue, two, three Blu-rays and uh, three DVDs here. Um, Pet Shop of Horrors from uh, Sente Filmworks, uh, also kind of a very phantasmagorical animation, more about the animation than the stories. It's worth checking out. Uh, less interesting anime elements line uh, from um, Nozomi. This is El Hazard, the Wanderers. Um, decent, decent adventure stuff, but uh, kind of old school animation. I, I'm not uh, not that keen on it. And if you're into the whole Gundam thing, from uh, Sun, the Sunrise line of the right of uh, right stuff is After War Gundam X. Um, you know uh, the whole Gundam world. It's it's just more giant spacesuit robot stuff. Uh, it, it it is what it is. The whole Gundam thing is you know robo 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 whatever. Fill in the blanks. Transformers and uh, you know uh, get to robo and all that stuff. They're and they're making a giant. They're making a film out of the whole series of uh, of um, the ro- big, the big robot series. Oh yeah, Voltron. Not Voltron, the other one, the big uh, Transformers. No, 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 Star no, no. Wars. No, 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 no. I don't know. No, no, it's the other. I'm the title slipping. Don't anyway, stop the recording. I'm not going to. Anyway, Gundam, part of that whole deal. Okay, okay. No so um, yeah, and then the last three here: Sente, uh, Madaka Box, season one and season two, in a complete collection. Uh, that'll make some people happy. It's uh, it's crazy stuff. And then uh, Wake Up Girls, the movie. Yay! They're all wearing schoolgirl uniforms. And they're jumping. Yippee! It's very fetishistic. And then uh, lastly, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Z. More of that stuff uh, on Blu-ray. This is uh, season one. And, uh, you know, it's, it's 
freaking Gundam. It's the big suit. Uh, that would make a ton of money if they actually did a live-action version of, of Gundam something. At least in, even in Japan, it would just make a ton of money. You could really do that all that Transformers animation. I think like Pacific Rim is becoming that thing. Because, you know, yeah, they're making is. a Pacific Rim sequel. I know. With and John uh, Boyega. John, he's going to be, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty great. Uh, you he's know the what? man now. He's you, the man. You know why? Okay, I like Pacific Rim. It was one of those movies that was just so loud and obnoxious and just overbearing and a thousand decibels that I just couldn't help but be hypnotized by it. Yep. I just wish that that one of the big climactic fights that happened during the day. I hate when these big fights happen at night. Like, they're trying to hide stuff. They're trying to hide they, they CGI. Used to used to do it so, so that you can hide the wires. Yeah. Now you do it to hide the CGI. I, and, and, and So everything is so murky and hard to see. And I want to see the big robots fighting, but it's at night. I don't like that, Wade. Well, <sighs> tell them to stop doing that. Y- you know, I, I, I understand, and that was the big complaint about the film, was that it was always raining. It was night and it was raining and nobody could actually see anything. You know, you couldn't see the too monsters murky. and the robots fighting. But I don't know. I really enjoyed it. No, I enjoyed it too. But yeah. I, that, that, that annoyed me. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know what else annoys me? What? Imagine Dragons. Yes. Now, Imagine Dragons, they're a uh, band from Las Vegas. And uh, it would be, you know, considering that rock and roll is a little bit on the downslide right now, you'd think I'd be into Imagine Dragons. But um, I'm kind of not. They're, uh, they got this like funky dubstep thing going on too that I never really latched on to but uh, the kids love the Imagine Dragons and uh, right now we've got a Blu-ray and CD called Imagine Dragons Smoke and Mirrors Live now the uh, the show which of course I've not seen um, looks pretty amazing I have to say at least based on this Blu-ray the concert here is from July of 2015 in uh, Toronto so if you're a fan of uh, Imagine Dragons you may want to go for it because uh, it looks great Sounds great. And, uh, you know, again, I, I love bands that carry the mantle for rock, which is uh, on the downslide right now, but I'm not a big fan of Imagine Dragons. Um, I'm a bigger fan of the Grand Ballroom. Now, the Grand Ballroom, if you do not know, was, is kind of a legendary live music concert hall in Detroit. And they had their heyday in the 60s and 70s, really. And back then, they hosted... Some amazing acts at the Grand Ballroom, including Led Zeppelin and Janis Joplin and blues guys like Howlin' Wolf and John Lee Hooker and Jeff Beck and also other stuff, people like the Grateful Dead and the Who. And it's just a really cool venue. And there is a documentary on DVD called Louder Than Love, The Grand Ballroom Story. And it's all about uh, the Grand Ballroom and how it got built and all the great bands that played in it. So if you are, and it's funny because at the time this was going on in the '60s, it was all about the uh, it was all the Summer of Love in California. It was all the Beach Boys, right? Yeah, that kind yeah. of sound. Yeah. But while that was going on in California, in Detroit, you had that you know that Grand Ballroom sound where you've got you know folks like the MC5 and the Stooges, and they were kind of you know working out their stuff in that area too, and. They passed through this venue. So Louder Than Love is, uh, if you're a rock fan, is a terrific documentary. Very detailed, very intimate, great interviews. Uh, you'll learn a lot about the, uh, the history of rock and roll, at least as it uh, relates to Detroit. So I would recommend Louder Than Love. I would also recommend uh, East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem. This is um, David Broza is a guy, he's, he's an Israeli singer-songwriter, and he had this, as artists often do, he had this dream of, of uniting Palestinians and Israelis through music. Yeah, that's... So uh, there was a, uh, <laughs> I think the whole, the whole world is like, yeah, that's going to happen. First uh, it was a CD called East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem, and now it's a uh, DVD. 
called nice. East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem, eight days and eight nights of music, food, and camaraderie. And Steve Earle is in it too. If you love rock, you'll, you know who Steve Earle is. And uh, you know, look, I, I found this thing fascinating, inspirational, getting these people together to bond over music. Will it have any effect on the world? Uh, of course not. Because all these people did their music. All these fans saw the, saw the show, then went home and started hating each other again. Yeah, well, that's how at least, it goes. You know what? Bravo for him, though. Seriously. Bravo yeah, for him. of course. All right. Uh, new movies. That's some interesting new stuff coming out. Got a couple of animated films here. Uh, the first one, I'm going to just say really quickly, is pretty negligible. It's called Quackers. Q-U-A-C-K-E-R-Z. Quackers. And the, the tagline, Mark, you got to read the tagline. It's so clever. The, what, what do they say about Quackers? <laughs> that's like the most hack... What is it? Duck joke ever. What? They'll quack you up. Oh, that's the best. Oh, that's the best. That's so clever. Why would they do? Who is this? <laughs> Shout kids? Yeah. I Come mean, on, it, it's look, it's not horrendous. It's If you're, you know, you have like a three or a four year old like I do, they'll probably enjoy this well enough. It, it's fine. Um, it, all the animation is is uh, Eastern European. Uh, they they spent like a buck fifty having somebody in Bulgaria or Russia or Ukraine do all the animation, and it's fine. You can do this at pretty much anywhere. But uh, the 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 whole thing is is I I don't want to say it, it it is better than Angry the Angry Birds movie, but that's not saying much. It's kind of the kind of a similar. Uh, concept uh, with you know these anthropomorphic ducks and and birds and having a sort of a bird conflict. It's very it's 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 silly and it's rather juvenile. But uh, you know what? It's I've seen worse. So whatever, take it as you will. Uh, this is a 3D Blu-ray for those who still think that watching animation in 3D is going to make a difference. Your kids aren't going to want to wear the glasses, but it's there. It's Quackers with a Z. What's this? But Wait, that, that, what is this? Uh, that that's the persuasion that came with uh, Cloverfield. I'll let you address that Wait, in just a moment. The persuasion? Yeah. They, they, well, is they, that a new word for swag or? Yeah, or is that, per, yeah. Did you make that up? Pers- no. That's the persuasion. They're called persuasions. No, it's not. Yes, they it are. It is not. You did not know that. I swear to God. How I didn't long know have you been in this business? Twenty-five years. They don't call <laughs> it. Pers- that's the persuasion. Persuasion. Like it's a noun now. When, that is Acad- a noun. when the academy sends swag to members. To persuade them to vote for a particular film, or at least consider it, it, those are called persuasions. No one's ever said that. You're kidding. I swear to God, no one's ever said that. I've never heard that in history of my life. Wow. All right. Okay. Okay. Next week, we are interviewing, we have a special interview now next week's show. Yes, we do. Our our good friend Tim Cogshell, who you've heard on the show before Mm -hmm. and have enjoyed thoroughly. Yes. I'm going to ask Tim Cogshell. I'll keep this. I'm I'm going to keep this bag with the little puzzle pieces in it. I'm going to say, Tim, uh, have you ever heard of these things being called persuasions? Yeah. We'll do that. And I'm going to see what he says. Okay. He'll say, well, it depends. He's known you longer, so he may say yes just to agree with you. (laughs) All right. Well, in any case, the other animated show this week, the other animated movie on Blu-ray and DVD with with digital HD of the Disney movies variety, not the ultraviolet, is Zootopia from Disney Animation. Uh, The same people who brought you Frozen and uh, Tangled. And I got to say, man, Zootopia, I, I had to review this for radio, and I went in to thinking, oh, this is going to be stupid. I walked out so in love with this movie. This is one of the best animated films I've ever seen in my life. It's not <laughs> for kids, though. It's basically a noir. They basically did a Disney animated noir with animals that is so detailed and so well thought out and so clever. I mean, this is like the best noir I've seen since Blood Simple. Really, it's fantastic. This movie is amazing. And uh, if you don't know, it's basically about a uh, little female bunny who wants to be a, a you know in the anthropomorphic animal world. She wants to be a cop, and keeps getting these you know crap assignments. 
and uh, then winds up, winds up stumbling onto like a really big story, a big lead, a big crime thing going on and seeing where it leads. And there's this uh, Fox con man, voiced by uh, Jason Bateman, that she makes her uh, partner, re- reluctant partner. So it's like a, buddy, a mismatched buddy cop film. And uh, it's great. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, the voice talent is just awesome. Jennifer Goodwin does the, uh, does the, the, the bunny. And uh, it's just wonderful. Everything about this thing is wonderful. I, I, it, it has references. It's all meta about other movies. And there are cool little in-references and great little uh, clever detailed jokes. And it's just it's amazing. This thing's made over a billion dollars worldwide. It's a huge hit. It just keeps on marching. And I wouldn't be surprised if we franchise this thing and get a few more. Zootopia 2 is definitely on the way. And I, I kind of can't wait. So I love Zootopia. Uh, loaded up with extras, too. Lots of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, featurette stuff. Uh, deleted scenes. Really, really fun. You get to see a lot of um, uh, work on how, you know, like characters that were originally conceived didn't wind up being in the movie. All the work that sort of went into this that, that has to get cut away because you can't put everything in. you got to kill your babies. Great movie, Zootopia, Blu-ray with the Disney Anywhere Ultra, uh, their version of Ultraviolet. Wade Major, everyone, love it. On Zootopia the, on the Disney bandwagon. On it. First Dory, now Zootopia. I'm so on. I'm I'm down with Disney today. I know. I, I'm really uh, disappointed in yeah. you. All right, Mark. Tell us why I, as a fan of Cloverfield, yes. which which obviously because it was directed by a friend of ours, uh, well, and made by several friends of ours. But but as a fan of Cloverfield, uh, I was reluctant, and I did not. I chose to not see this thing because it just looked like, uh, you know, let's just try to go to that well again and 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 pointlessly. Why should I have seen this movie? Uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, terrific, surprisingly so hard for me to good. Believe. And I'll tell you why it's surprisingly good, because it, uh, it does things that these sorts of films never do, which is it's all about suspense. John Goodman uh, is just this mountainous man of, of mysterious motives where you don't know what that he has in good. store. Mountainous man of mysterious <laughs> motives. That is some of the coolest alliteration you have done on this show. Thank you very much. I'm really impressed. And by the way, Mary, uh, what's this, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, by the way? Yeah. Delicious. Okay. She's on the delicious list. Yeah. I think she's great. Anyway, uh, it, it almost reminds me of like, of, of, of like a Orson Welles radio play of, yeah. of, from the 30s where it's not about boo scares. You spend the whole movie wondering what motives this guy, John Goodman, has, and it just it's ratchets it up. It ratchets it up. The only bad thing I'll say about it is that I think that the director, who did a terrific job, this guy, uh, uh, Trachtenberg, he overplays his hand a little bit at the end. The... the uh, the climax is a little too much. I won't give anything away, but there's just too much. But uh, I just think this thing will make you sit and squirm and not feel cheated. The, 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 the scares aren't cheap. It is, it's terrifying. It's claustrophobic. It focuses on the characters. Uh, I, I, she's a terrific, you know, a, a, a terrific heroine. She's smart, you know. I, I just think this thing was terrific. I was very surprised. I, 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 I wasn't reviewing it. Yeah, I wasn't writing about it. I just wanted to see it because probably because I was waiting out traffic or yeah. something. <laughs> Kill a couple hours while traffic dies down. But um, in the end, I just think this thing has a surprising amount of restraint and confidence when you consider what it could have been. All right, so fair I'm, enough. I'm a uh, I'm very on board with Ten Cloverfield Lane, and the Blu-ray itself is a uh, fine. There's a commentary with uh, Dan Trachtenberg and also J.J. Abrams is on there too. A couple of um, featurettes. So Ten Cloverfield Lane, that's a winner. Winner. Wow. Well, I guess I'll have to watch it now. All right, and then a uh, couple of uh, Guys with Guns movies. Let's go into the uh, the pointless one first. Gridlocked, 
starring Dominic Purcell, along with a whole bunch of other really square-jawed, tough people like uh, Vinnie Jones and Stephen Lang. Remember Stephen Lang? He's like the... Uh, the he was star- the guy from Avatar. And Avatar. It's like his big claim to fame. You know, he was going to be like like the next Lee Ermey or that he, guy. Yeah, he's doing the big sergeant thing. And then, and then Danny Glover shows up and this as well. He's still got a square jaw. He still works. Uh, oh, and Trish Stratus, she, she brings it up. She's the obligatory female in this. But other, otherwise, it's Dominic Purcell just basically doing his... Uh, his, his tough dude, badass role as a, uh, a New York police SWAT guy. And, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's been shot. He's, uh, he's mad. He's tough. He's, uh, he's uncontrolled. And now he's got to get this, uh, he's got to, you know, look after this celebrity, this spoiled, pampered guy played by Cody Hackman. And uh, boy, that uh, they are not going to get along. But man, are they going to ever have to? When suddenly a diehard scenario erupts, and Stephen Lang is basically uh, the guy who runs the uh, the whole. Um, he's like he's like the uh, the Alan Rickman of this thing. And and you know the rest of it is pretty much by the numbers. It's it's fine. This is a uh, magnet magnet line film from Magnolia, and uh, it's you know pretty standard action stuff. It's not incompetent. But there's nothing remarkable about it. A few uh, featurettes, bloopers, deleted scenes, the usual. Now, here's the gold one. Here's the, here's the gem. London has fallen. <laughs> the gem? Oh, my gosh. Mark, did you see London has fallen? No, I, did you, I, I did you see, on that. Did you see the first one, Olympus has fallen? No, I'm not going to see that crap. Okay. So, we see 200 movies a year. Yeah. I got to pass on okay. the ones I got to pass on. So, so Olympus has fallen, right? It's you, you know the drill, right? It's uh, Gerard Butler. He's a Secret Service agent, right? You know the whole thing. Aaron Eckhart. He's the president. He's a Secret Service. Mm-hmm. He's got to put himself on the line. President's taken hostage. That whole kind of kind of a deal, right? Got to sure. save the president. Yeah, the usual, right? Air Force One, and you know, then there was another one with Jamie Foxx that was done around the same time, the uh, Roland Emmerich thing. Oh yeah, the one where um, yeah. I forgot the name. Yeah, they, they, they actually that made more. Olympus month. has fallen. No, no, no. That oh. was anyway. Forget it. Whatever. I'm going to find out what it is because I can't remember now. So they came out about the same time, but they actually were like equally successful, except this one was made for less money, and so wound up basically being the uh, the smarter investment. And of course, you've got. Uh, you know, Morgan Freeman. White House Down. White House Down, thank you. Well, anyway, Morgan Freeman. So Morgan Freeman, you know, being his usual uh, very authoritative self. So here we are. Now we're, now we're in London, right? Now we're no longer in Washington. We're in London, and there's a gathering of world leaders. And so President Aaron Eckhart has to go there with, of course, his trusty Gerard Butler social uh, secret service detail, right? And Gerard Butler wants to retire now because his wife's expecting and he wants to be a father and a family. It's a whole thing, right? It's the last day at work. Why like, even do that? It's so cliche. It's so cl- it's, no, it's, no. It's like, like, like oh, the, the, the six no. days before retirement cliche. Oh, you have no idea how much better it gets. So – uh, and of course, the usual, uh, right? You got Morgan Freeman. He's the vice president. He has he worked for like a day and a half just to do a few things on a you know to look really like everything is really going to hell. And uh, the 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 same usual supporting cast. Okay, so giant terrorist strike in London, fully coordinated by some you know terrorist guy who has an axe to grind. He's he, I forget. I think he's like he's like somewhere in the Middle East, Pakistan. Who knows where where he is? But anyway, he's coordinating it from there, and they kill like every. Major world leader. They kill the pre- the prime minister of Italy. They kill the prime minister of Japan. They kill every world leader who is gathered there. They wind up killing them for this conference that they're having. And oh my gosh, now the president he's on the run, and London is on lockdown. And the and Gerard Butler has got to be the badass who somehow coordinates this and gets him to the the, the helicopter and gets them rescued. 
it is this is so spectacularly wonderfully beautifully artfully magnificently terrible i just can't get enough of it this movie is joy from the first frame to the last this is one of those movies that is so bad honestly i'm not sure i have laughed this hard at an actual intentional comedy in years in years this is a riot this is a laugh riot every 30 seconds (laughs) <laughs> this film is just not to be believed how wonderful it is. I'm not sure if that means I should watch it or not watch it. I, I, it depends how much you love bad movies because it is truly, wonderfully, warmly, invitingly terrible. I just I can't describe it any other way. London Has Fallen is a masterpiece of unintentional comedy. It is. It is a masterpiece of unintentional comedy. Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet. Uh, oh, got to rock on with that one. Got to rock on with that big time. Oh, Wade, let's, you know what, let's go the complete opposite end of uh, London sure. Has Fallen and talk about the uh, quietly devastating 45 years. Yes. How I love this movie. Now, here's the thing. I, I, for our audience, I, I, I can't really say that uh, you're going to run out and uh, watch a movie whose two stars, the combined ages of which are probably like 150. <laughs> That's uh, Tom Courtney and um, Charlotte Rampling, who wound up being nominated for an Oscar. But uh, I'm telling you, man, this thing we is We gave her Best Actress. We did. She's great. So this is a movie about a marriage that has been going on for 45 years, and um, there is a secret, I won't give much away, there is a secret that is um, slowly revealed in the marriage that that creates, at least on her side, an imperceptible crack in her love for her husband and her opinion of the marriage. She, she, it, 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 here's what I find interesting and what I don't find so interesting, and I'll let you finish on that. The... Uh, the, I find it interesting that it it embraces and examines and tries to dissect the idea that that there is no period of time that makes a relationship so stable that it cannot be rocked by the revelation of a, a possible betrayal of trust. That forty five years of this amazing marriage, and then she suddenly finds out that something there may have been some little tiny thing where he was not as honest or the marriage was not what she thought it was. And it just, that, that one little piece of information could potentially unravel everything positive from those other 45 years. I think that's a very interesting idea. And it's a great premise on which to sort of build a, 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 a nice, you know, sort of semi-two-hander character piece. Uh, that said, I, I just felt that it was, the execution was really kind of plotting and lackluster. Really? Yeah. I think, but see, to me... Part of its effectiveness is that plotting because it's after 45 years, there's a certain monotony. I'm not saying the movie's monotonous, but there's a certain quiet monotony to a marriage when you've been around and together for 45 years. And these revelations are not like these gigantic, oh my God, you slept with a hooker when you were 20 years old. Yes, oh my sir. God, you're Arnold Schwarzenegger and you, you had a whole separate family. It's not like that. And so you've got a, you've got a, a husband and wife. They, you know, they're, I can't remember if they, if they had children in, in the film, but, um, uh, they're basically alone in this English country house, and they just live by themselves. And they're older, and they don't. They don't. There's no histrionics. There's no gigantic shouting. They know who they, they know who they are. They know what the marriage is about. Yeah. So they don't. Th- th- I think that plotting is is sort of how they play out their marriage. Their I mean, marriage is like that. Yeah, I get it. I mean, for for me, some of it is Andrew Haig, the the director who has previously done uh, did Weekend. That was the last thing he directed in 2011, which I also thought had some of the same problems. 
Uh, he just he he really dials it down, and I love dialed down movies generally, but I, I almost think he dials it down to where it, the the the, the didn't drama. Give you enough. It didn't give me enough. It didn't give me enough. I, well, I love the understatement. I thought it was great. And that last shot is so devastating. It is. No, that's wonderful. There's when, some really great stuff. When the aliens come down, it's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, pretty great. And Jeff Goldblum pops in. and. Oh, wait a second. So have, have you gotten your invite to Independence Day? Uh, I may have. It's been a, it's been a frantic week. I've got to go look at my emails and see what came What? Out. I haven't gotten it yet. You better not get yours. Oh, no. Well, I'm so you, going. I thought you had. No, I have not. But you got the Woody Allen film. I did get the Woody Allen film, it. which you did not get. I don't think so. Uh-huh. I don't think I did. I, maybe I did. I have to go check. That's because I'm more forward, awesome than you. Forward that to me if you could, because I want to. Uh, I want to raise hell with somebody, because I got to see that. Maybe I will. Maybe I, just I, won't. Ton, I just have a ton I got to see this week. I, you know, I saw Tickled. I had to see Tickled for radio this week. Have you heard of Tickled? No. Oh my gosh! Most disturbing thing ever. It's a doc. It was at Sundance. What's it about? Uh, it's, well, it's about a New Zealand journalist, a Kiwi journalist. Who a very well-known journalist there who is looking who just he's looking for a story and he stumbles across this this thing online called competitive tickling and he just he he inquires at the production company that makes these tickling videos and what he gets back is the most vitriolic hateful uh, antagonistic uh, homophobic email that he's you could possibly imagine just calling him out and slandering him it's just horrible wait so had he written the article no he's just in, he's just inquiring he just says hey you know I'm, I'm a journalist and I saw this thing and I'm just curious and I want to know a little bit about more what you do and then they just breathe fire all over him and then, of course, naturally, being who he is, he's like, okay, now I really got to get to the right. bottom of this. And what he uncovers is so insanely, psychotically disturbing, you have no idea. Is it that, is it a particular person, or is it the entire subculture? Well, it, it's people? pretty much that the whole subculture is one person. But but it is it is who that person is, and how that person operates, and the history of that person uh, that is so unbelievably fascinating. It, it really, it's, it's really... It's a great doc, but man, is it disturbing. It's called Tickled. I just, it's, wow. Anyway, carry on. Uh, carry on. The Other Side of the Doorway, one of those lame movies, horror films, supernatural, stupid. Don't rent it. Don't look at it. If, if, if it's in your local video store, burn your video store down. This is about a uh, family. They have a young son. Young son dies, and the mother, very sad, learns of this, uh, I guess it's this ancient ritual that will uh, bring the son back to life so she can say goodbye to him properly. And so she travels to this, uh, this, uh, this temple, and there's, a, there's like this doorway between worlds, and so it just gets completely ridiculous. And I got to say, this thing had a lot of cheap scares, uh, a lot of like, you know, boo moments, that just, it, it, which is exactly what 10 Cloverfield Lane doesn't have. And uh, I just think that was a lot of effort put into this film for absolutely no purpose because this thing should not have even been remotely uh, – I'm not sure if this ever got a theatrical, but it certainly doesn't deserve it. Um, Jeremy Sisto is the only name in this you may know. And, uh, yeah, I pass on this. All right. So uh, I have uh, very few areas of true expertise uh, in films. I, you know, certainly Hong Kong martial arts films, big area of expertise. Uh, you know, uh, French New Wave. There, there are all kinds of areas. Like I, I, my areas of specialization where I feel like I could write an actual book about a genre or a, a field or a thing. Uh, they are relatively few and far between, but uh, one of them are Jesus movies. I have a particular compulsion about Jesus movies because they represent such a, a fascinating 
uh, cross-section of uh, different cultural perspectives and, and whatnot. Uh, in the, all the way from, you know, when you look at like Pasolini's uh, Gospel of St. Matthew to Scorsese's uh, Last Temptation to Mel Gibson's uh, Passion of the Christ, uh, what those movies tell you is a lot less about Jesus and a great deal more about the individual filmmakers and their particular religious or non-religious attachment uh, to uh, to the world and how they express it through film. So these things always fascinate me. And The Young Messiah recently came out from Focus Features, which is very interesting because uh, the, the pedigree of this film is is really curious. So Anne Rice who is basically known for her vampire novels, uh, also has a deep religious strain in her. And Anne Rice has had a very interesting relationship with Christianity. Uh, She's not affiliated with any particular uh, uh, sect or uh, denomination at the moment. Um, but she she considers herself very attached to Christianity and very spiritual on a certain level, which is a little weird for somebody that writes uh, occultish vampire movies. But she started to write a trilogy about the life of Christ and only wrote two novels and basically then gave up and uh, has no intention of ever finishing the trilogy. The first is the is the basis for this film. The Young Messiah is based on the first of those Anne Rice books, and it is co-written and directed by Cyrus Noraste, who is an American of Persian extraction who is most famous for the stoning of Soraya M. from a few years ago. A very good film. Which is which is a good film. It 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 was it got a little bit melodramatic for me, a little bit exploitative at a certain point. Um, but I was curious to see what he does here. And uh, the bottom line is that, you know, we've had a number of uh, Jesus movies in recent years. Risen was one in just recent months that, that with uh, Joseph Fiennes, directed by Kevin Reynolds. It was a big, big pile of junk. And, uh, this, and of course, there's also Last Days in the Desert, which is out right now with uh, uh, Ewan McGregor playing a much too old Jesus uh, during his sojourn in the desert. You know, so there are a lot of these being made right now. And uh, I gotta say, this is uh, this is pretty uh, this is pretty weak. Uh, I'm I'm profoundly disappointed in this, and it's weak from the get go. And it's weak partly because of how Anne Rice chooses to tell the story. Because the story of Jesus, as anybody knows who has even a passing understanding of the Bible, is that uh, you really don't know much about Jesus before age twelve, and you know very little between age twelve and, uh, and like age thirty one. So, you know, you can pretty much write what you want. So as far as the early days of Jesus, you know, after they fled and they went into Egypt, you can pretty much make up everything that you want. So Anne Rice does. And what's amazing is that she doesn't really have enough imagination to make up something better because it's, it's kind of, it's sort of lame. And uh, Sean Bean plays a Roman centurion and, you know, a lot of it's just they're, they're bringing Jesus back and, uh, they're, and you know, Herod's son still wants to, uh, you know, carry out the death sentence of his father, and uh, he hears that this kid may be around, and it just kind of treads water a lot and uh, really tries to paint a picture of what it would be like if you're a little kid who is, uh, who is some kind of divine, has some kind of divine calling, but it never really sparks to anything. It's dramatically lackluster. It is religiously not very interesting, and uh, really under-budgeted, I have to say. The relationship between Mary and Jesus and Joseph, it's not a very interesting family. Uh, so the film just does. Oh, and then there's this whole, this whole bit where uh, the devil shows up and with really, uh, with strangely blonde hair and uh, weird eye makeup, and uh, he's Jesus is the only person who can see him. Doesn't really. It's all kind of uh, religious film cliche stuff. So not very interesting on any level whatsoever. Uh, unless you are a particular fan of the genre, then it may be worth watching. The commentary with uh, Cyrus Noraste and his wife, who co-wrote it with him, 
is is decent. Um, so as a rental, you may want to watch it to listen to the commentary to hear why they approached the story that they did. And then, of course, there's some deleted scenes and a featurette, and that's about it. But otherwise, it's Blu-ray, DVD, ultraviolet. Uh, but my enthusiasm for it is uh, very, very l- lukewarm, if even that. And yet you talked about it for 10 freaking minutes. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's, uh, it was a film I was actually cu- really curious to see. So, Wait, there's a movie. Wait. Yes, sir. Stars Miles Teller, uh, Anna Kendrick, you know, Brian Cranston. You're like, wow, this is going to be great. Miles Teller, uh, Anna Kendrick with Brian Cranston? Yeah. Unbelievable. Wait, that movie wound up being Get a Job, which was shot in 2012 and sat on a shelf until oh, right now. No. And this movie is, uh, as, as predictably, is terrible. Uh, Miles Teller played, uh, you know, and the funny thing about the movie is that obviously they wanted to tap into the whole thing of like millennial college graduates who trying to get a job, very uncertain job market yeah. in the, the early 21st century. And uh, Teller plays a guy who was supposed to uh, get a job at the LA Weekly. And we have many friends who yeah, write, we do. write or have written for the LA Weekly. Um, but it falls through, so he winds up going from dead-end job to dead-end job until he gets another job making uh, corporate videos. And uh, so this is the movie, and I have to say that this movie is just terrible. It is uh, juvenile, and uh, this, it, it, it's, it barely qualifies as social satire. No brains at all in this thing. I can see how it's sat on a shelf. It's just a lame comedy that, you know, and it's, you know what, Anna Kendrick, I think she does a lot of movies that suck. Yeah, she, she, she really is throwing herself rather indiscriminately at a lot of, pro, a lot of projects. And some of them, are they, they hit, like, you know, Mr. Wrong with Sam Rockwell was great. But the George Clooney thing, come on, up in yeah, the air. Yeah, but she really, she's just working too much. She needs to kind of scale it back and be a little bit more discriminating, for sure. And then, uh, boy, here's a, here's a strange misfire. Kill Your Friends, Nicholas Holt, uh, who should be picking better projects. I have a feeling that this was something that he did before... Uh, the uh, Mad Max film that uh, really now has kind of put him onto a, a better track again for the first time since he was a kid, you know, and what in, in about a boy. But um, he should be doing better stuff than this. This is kind of a bargain basement American psycho uh, set in London with him as this talent scout who uh, lives a rather hedonistic life, and um, uh, which winds up sort of pushing him to, well, as the title will tell you, kill your friends. It, it, you know, as a talent scout, he just chooses to go into a dextery direction uh, at a certain point. It's it's pretty exploitative. He's he's okay in it. He uh, he deserves better material, and hopefully, he'll pick better material in the future. But it's on Blu-ray from uh, from Wellgo. Wait, um, Mario Bava, who is a Italian director, we often uh, of the seventies mostly. Yes. We, uh, often talk about did a film called Rabid Dogs in nineteen seventy four. It was kind of a dud. Mostly because um, it was recut without Bava's permission, and uh, that's never a good sign. And then now, in 2016, we have a remake. It's a French remake. It is a Rabid Dogs, and uh, this one's a little bit better. It. Uh, what's interesting about the film is that it takes place mostly inside a, a car. Lambert Wilson, or probably Lambert Wilson, because he's all French and stuff. <laughs> he uh, plays a getaway driver. There's a bunch of armed bank robbers who have kidnapped him and his child and are in some random, you know, bystander on the street and uh, the whole thing just takes place in this one car and uh, you know there was a film so it's a little bit like Drive and it's a little bit like the Tom Hardy thing uh, that I love so much whose name I can't remember what's oh, the Tom uh, Hardy uh, thing uh, in the uh, Skype Steve Mel it's uh, one name yeah yeah Lock Lock yes thank you okay Lock I thought was fantastic I'm so glad we gave Tom Hardy best actor for that totally deserved it 
drive, of course, put Nicholas Winding Refn on the map, uh, and now, of course, he has fallen off the map. Uh, so it's kind of like that, but I would prefer those two films over Rabid Dogs. Um, sometimes it just feels like a bunch of loosely connected weird little scenes more than like an actual, you know, meaningful, purposeful drama. But yeah. um, still, there's some good some good stuff in here. All right. And there's a, there's a making of in here, which I thought was fine, and interviews with the cast, and of course, uh, they mostly speak French. And we got some Warner Archive stuff. Uh, actually, a really interesting week in Warner Archive. Uh, seven Miles from Alcatraz, which is a nice little old adventure era, you know, adventure film with a decent cast. Um, directed by Eddie Dimitrick, who has been, you know, used to teach at USC, taught some friends of ours, and uh, uh, most famous for informing on uh, before the uh, House on American Activities Committee, for you know, which he was pilloried by his colleagues for many years. He did that along with Ilya Kazan. He was, you know, a, a Hollywood communist until he decided to uh, turn against his friends and never really... Uh, uh, you know who else did that too? Huh. So I was watching, not, not to derail the conversation, yeah. which I'm about to do. So I was watching Ball of Fire again, yeah. rewatching one of, one of my favorite screwball comedies ever in the whole world. I love Ball of Fire mm-hmm. uh, with Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck. Now, Barbara Stanwyck also named names. Yeah, I did, did not know that. I didn't know that either. I did not know that. I Barbara Stanwyck name names. Really? Yep. Right. Not a fan now. Don't like Barbara Stanwyck. Well, anyway, this is a obviously as as you is seven miles from Alcatraz, a uh, prison escape thing, um, but it it winds up having a an interesting little spy twist to it, which is you know of the era, a little uh, Nazi spy thing going on. Um, it's fine, fair enough. Not not one of uh, Dimitri's best films. Certainly not a great film, but it was very kind of a, a typical archaeo programmer from the period. It's worth checking out if you like the, the era. And then um, James Fitzpatrick's Travel Talks, uh, Volume 1. There are 60 of these Technicolor shorts on here that uh, Fitzpatrick did as, you know, sort of programmer shorts, which you would see before a movie, uh, back for many, many years. And uh, MG, just about every MGM film for at least a decade had these these Travel Talks in front of it, and they're lovely. Uh you know, he just he goes to all kinds of interesting locations and shoots a cool little uh, Technicolor travel short, and they're wonderful. Um, most of it is uh, stuff from the United States, but there's you know like uh, there's places in Alaska and Minnesota and uh, Glacier National Park, and but he he goes elsewhere. I mean, he actually goes to Copenhagen and goes to uh, Java, and there's some interesting other places that he goes to, and um, even Australia. So it's um, a little bit in South America. It's just a lot of really cool vintage travel short stuff, and uh, it's nicely put together, nice little golden age blast from the past. And then uh, on Blu-ray, one of the rare Warner Archive Blu-ray releases, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall in Dark Passage, not their best film together. But an irresistible uh, pairing, nonetheless, uh, directed by uh, Delmer Daves, who also wrote. And then uh, great music by Franz Waxman. Uh, yeah, it's a really just a, you know, a, a solid film noir. Not, again, not a classic film noir, but a really solid film noir with some interesting twists shot in uh, San Francisco uh, on location very, very nicely. And it looks gorgeous on Blu-ray. So bravo again to Warner Archive for uh, pulling out a really good one and giving it the Blu-ray treatment. Sweet. What's next, Wade? Uh, you know what? Let me uh, let's let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. Listener mail. Listener mail. Is that the new theme song for them? Yes. Wait, can I just say there's two yes. Jeepers Creepers films out? Oh yeah, go ahead, hit that. I, I just have to say this because you know Jeepers Creepers uh, was one of those low budget uh, horror films that somehow did pretty good. It was directed by Victor Salva, 
who would become uh, controversial for other reasons. Yeah, for child molestation. Exactly. This is from 2001. So, uh, he did Powder. Powder is a good movie. It is a good I'm movie. I'm going to stand up for Powder. That is true. Um, just because he fondles boys doesn't mean he can't make a good movie. Yeah, I hate to admit it, but yeah. <laughs> so this is from 2001. It, it kind of uh, it, uh, hit a bit of a nerve. It stars Justin Long. What happened to that guy? And uh, it takes place, uh, you know, it's these two kids. They're driving home, and, uh, you know, they, they're run off the road by this crazy maniac, and... Um, you know, they uh, they wind up getting attacked by the maniac, and he's uh, Jeepers Creepers. Yep. So they wind up making a sequel to Jeepers Creepers two years later, which is ironically called Jeepers Creepers 2. And uh, this one is not nearly as good, and um, it's, sort of, it's, it's, a bit, a bit, it's a bit of the same thing, except instead of a pickup truck in the first one, I think it was a pickup truck, it's a, it a bus. And this one is a bunch of high school kids, a bunch of athletes, and uh, yeah, they, they come up against uh, the Creeper. And so I don't really like these movies. I think they're kind of stupid. This one does have Ray Wise. I like Ray Wise. Um, but I do have to say, Scream Factory did a great job with both of these. They did It's a two-disc set, both of them. A lot of special features, a then and now. Uh, a lot of interviews with the actors, some of the actors, surviving actors. Um, audio commentaries. They did a great job. Uh, Jeepers Creepers is probably worth that kind of effort just because it's a bit of a genre and mini cult. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. classic, but kind of a mini cult thing. Jeepers Creepers 2 is just really terrible. Although the executive producer, I'm just saying, the executive producer, one of them, of Jeepers Creepers 2? Yes. Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, he was an executive producer on the original and the sequel. And by the way, putting this out there, there will be a Jeepers Creepers 3. It was announced last year. Uh-huh. And Coppola will co-produce it. Really? And uh, Solve is going to direct it and write it. Well... How about that? Now, the thing is that we're, we're, we're 13 years beyond the second one, so I don't know what kind of uh, you know appetite there is for a Jeepers Creepers 3, but uh, bizarre, because Coppola doesn't really make movies anymore. He, he had that moment when he like went to Romania and did a bunch of weird little movies that no one cared about, mm-hmm. and now he's kind of disappeared again. But uh, the one thing he will be doing is uh, Jeepers Creepers 3. Wow. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, all right, so let's... Uh... Let's get into our uh, emails. Uh, Philip Vader says, uh, and that's V-A-T-E-R, Philip Vader, does not want to be associated with the uh, dark side of the force. Uh, He says, please address the following topics. 4K UHD video as referenced in episode 33 and screening room as referenced in the Star Wars episode. You mentioned you would talk about these technologies more. Um, so, uh, okay, screening room. Mark, do you want to describe what screening room is? Oh, you going to make me do that? Uh, well, in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> in, How a do nutshell? We, in a nutshell? In a nutshell. I guess, well, let, let me take a stab at it, and you can, you can correct me. So uh, what's his face? Sean, who's it? It's the, uh, the, the... Sean Parker. Sean Parker, the Napster guy who we all know is basically looking exactly like uh, Justin Timberlake. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, so he portrayed by Justin Timberlake in the, uh, in the social network. Um, he came up with this idea called Screening Room, which he got a few directors to back, like J.J. Abrams and Steven Spielberg, and uh, or, or was it or was it to Zemeckis, Zemeckis or Spielberg or both of them? Anyway, I don't came, know that Zemeckis had anything to do with it. Well, see, maybe he, he got a bunch of named directors to back to get on board with this, which was this idea that you buy this box, basically a set top box, not different from like a Roku or an Apple TV or anything else, and uh, except that it is a proprietary system that lets you pay. Fifty dollars, fifty bucks, fifty bucks for a first-run movie in your own house. So you could go and pay fifteen bucks uh, to see it in a theater, or you could pay fifty bucks and have it pumped right into your house, and then obviously charge your neighbors at like you know ten bucks a head and make a profit on it. 
I mean, I don't see how 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 anybody's gonna, that's going to stop anybody from it's making the stupidest thing. In the first of all, yeah. okay, if I was like some hacker from yeah. you know from Indonesia, I would buy a box, and I would just. Take my, take, I, yeah. I would set up my camcorder on a nice tripod, yeah. so it looks particularly beautiful, and I would just start pirating the crap out of all these <laughs> movies. Like, what's to stop people? Fifty bucks is it's, not that much of an impediment. Well, the I, the idea behind it was they apparently had all kinds of anti piracy schemes, and and the and one of the things is the studios are concerned that people are going to movies less and less and less. There's an there's an Atlantic piece that's out right now talking about how millennials just aren't going to movies. And the studios are a little panicked because even though business is growing overseas, the Ameri- this is going to be the, the least um, aggressive the, – the fewest people going to see movies in theaters in the United States since the silent era, since the 1920s, okay, which is an extraordinary uh, statistic if it's true. Now, to me, that then just stopped trying to sell movies to people who don't want to go to see movies. I mean, then you just got to make movies for people who are in their, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, whatever age group. But, of course, the studios are all owned by companies that can't sell toys and video games to those people. They don't really care as much about movies as they do about the other stuff that the movies help them sell. Those are not valuable demographics for them. So they're determined to somehow make millennials still their core target audience. That's the problem. So it's a bit – a, anyway – to get back to screening room, screening room is not going to resolve any of these problems um, for the obvious reasons that Mark pointed out and that I pointed out. But it was it, what really has, has been a death knell to screening room is the fact that all these other name directors, despite all the name directors he had on board, suddenly Cameron comes out against it, Soderbergh, uh, you know, a million other people. I think uh, there, were, there were like two or three other really named directors that came out against it. Well, but by the way, it has to be said. Yeah. That one reason why there are some exhibitors who are okay with this is because screening room will give exhibitors a cut. Yeah, but then then the then the National Association of Theater Owners came out against it. So right. so it was like, well, but if, that was their, that was screening yeah. room's way of getting exhibitors on uh, board with an idea that yeah. in theory takes business away from them. Yeah. It's, well, just, it's a stupid idea. So anyway, and on the other subject of uh, 4K, there's a lot to be said about 4K and it's changing every day and um the the big thing with 4K, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to line up an interview with somebody who can talk to the tech of all of this uh, from Sony or Samsung or LG or one of these companies, so that I can ask I can let them really speak to it because um, the issue is not so much the higher resolution as it is HDR, and um, HDR is is what is confusing everybody, and uh, specifically HDR stands for uh, high uh, high density resolution, is it? You know exactly what HDR stands for? I do not. It's uh, I think it's high anyway. So HDR, what HDR means? If you if you look at uh, if you look online at, at sort of some explanations about HDR, what it does is it 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 resolves the contrast issues between light and dark parts of a frame. So in other words, whereas let's say those those amazing Gordon Willis shots in The Godfather, where you know you can where everything is lit with uh, with like a, a candle. Uh, or Barry Lyndon, where it's literally lit with a candle, and everything is very, the contrast and the, the depth of sh- field is very shallow, and the contrast is very, very, you know, you can see slight details in the shadows. Film could capture that, but no digital process has ever really been able to replicate that on a television. The idea here is that HDR is a technology that enables you to actually do that. And so now on an ultra high definition TV, HDR is the technology that facilitates that. However, HDR is requires certain hardware specifications, and you have to make sure that everything talks to everything else correctly. 
And um, it's a little bit it's a little bit confusing because a lot of first generation stuff is not compatible with second generation stuff. You get into the HDMI spec, so um, it is a little bit confusing. But we will try to sort that out in the coming weeks. I'm going to see if I can get a real tech expert to uh, to speak to that. And let's see. Uh, then we've also got an email here from Kevin Lower, who sent us a ton of great intros. And uh, Kevin says, how do you calibrate your TVs? Is it to preference or is there actually a right answer? Everyone always says how bad they're set up when they're out of the box. Uh, care to por- act- how do you, how do you uh, accurately portray what a film director really wanted? And the same could be th- said for theaters. I saw Deathly Hallows Part 2 twice in different theaters, days apart. One was considerably darker to the point it was distracting because I'd already seen it once with much more detail. Uh, theaters have a problem with, with setting up. Uh, it depends if it was projected on film or whatever. Even digitally, the, uh, the lumens that are put out by different projectors are different. You, you need to make sure that, that a theater has an, a sufficiently bright projector and that they're using the right screen to go with that projector. And sadly, a lot of them don't. But um, anyway, the... Um, well, also something else, too, is that a lot of times theaters, mistakenly to save money, they'll turn down the brightness on the bulb. Yeah, which is ridiculous. I mean, I mean, I, I, Roger Ebert was, was – he used to write about that extensively, how he would see films that looked underlit. Yeah. But actually the projectionist had turned down the bulb thinking that it would extend the life of the bulb. That, that's less of an issue in the digital era because the, the amount of electricity that is required to generate light from a digital projector is really not that much. In the old days where you had those, those arc bulbs, those things are – I mean, you know, the, the, if you were to look at the door of an old projection booth back in the old original film days, there's always like a fire department warning because if one of those bulbs blows, it blows. It is a big deal, and there's poisonous gas involved. Those, those things are insane, those bulbs. They're very dangerous, and they burn really hot and really bright. And uh, that's, you know, they were very expensive to replace. So that, I think, probably had a lot to do with it, too. I mean, that, those are like $2,000 bulbs or some obnoxious amount like that. Um, anyway, then, uh, so uh, specifically as to calibrating TVs. So um, the, the, my answer to him and my answer to everybody else who's asking this question is that it's changing a little bit now because it's different for an LCD versus a plasma versus uh, an OLED. And uh, the, the, the best recommendation I could say right now is to follow the instructions in the manual, whatever the manual tells you. Take it off of whatever that uh, the mode is that they use for the floor. When you look at it on a showroom floor, the mode is always really overcranked so that it's super bright under fluorescent lights like at Best Buy. You don't want it on that. You want to put it onto your movie mode. Even TV will look better on the movie mode. Much more naturalistic colors. But otherwise, I would say Spears and Munsell, M-U-N-S-I-L, the Spears and Munsell uh, Benchmark Blu-ray Edition uh, is is really, really good. Uh, Digital Video Essentials HD Basics uh, is uh, in now in its uh, in a new edition. I think Spears and Munsell also has a new edition as of 2013. And then there's AIX Records Audio Calibration, which is uh, specifically to get your speakers and your audio calibrated. So I would say go with those. Digital Video Essentials, DVE, uh, Spears and & Munsell, and uh, AIX Records. Those are the three that you want to use to, to get it done. Uh, some people really like the Disney Wow disc, which stands for World of Wonder, which is very cartoonish and very typically Disney, where you kind of walk through this theme park of uh, calibration uh, processes. It's a little bit strange and juvenile, but I, I have heard people swear by it, so I will not, uh, I will not dispute that until I have a chance to try it out. 
All right, we are right at the end of the show, Mark. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna leave the rest of these anime for uh, next week, and we will have Tim Cockshell with us, hopefully next week, uh, barring any uh, any interference, and he will be able to uh, confirm that those things are called persuasions. They are not called persuasions. They are called persuasions. Never heard that in my life. Yeah, well, you're, you're gonna hear it a lot more. All right, with that, we are done. We'll see you guys next week. 